It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It is a Wednesday morning. What song is this, Mark? Gorillas. Clint Eastwood. You know, the Gorillas is Pittsburgh State. Oh, yeah. That's true. My man Dallas Flowers, a Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. State Gorilla. Uh, Wednesday morning, sun's starting to pop out. Jake Query here along with Mark Dykton, Sam Fritz on the big board, Kevin Bowen back on Monday. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors guest line, he is the NFL writer focusing on the Colts for ESPN, talking about Stephen Holder. Stephen, um, he he just dropped. I'm going to have to give him another phone call, but he's no okay. longer on the line. Okay. Um, one he's of the not things a big I to, fan, I guess. Yeah, that's right. One of the things I'd like to ask Stephen uh, that we'll get to right off the top is – and somebody just brought it up to us. It's it's a fair point, Mark. I don't anticipate this being the case. But now that they have two kickers, one practice squad, one active, we don't know which one's going to be which just yet. Um, but the real question that I think is of interest is because of the fact that, like with Blankenship, you know, he struggled on the kickoffs. Then you have the, the other duty that comes with kicker. Do they – and I'll ask Stephen Holder this right off the bat – Steven, with the Colts deciding to sign not one but two guys to the practice squad for kicking, and one of them will be elevated for their game in Jacksonville, any chance that they use one as a kickoff specialist and one as uh, their field goal kicker at all, or whoever gets the job, I'm assuming, is going to have to do both duties? Your thoughts? Uh, I think it's more likely that, that one guy will do both. But I, I honestly hadn't considered that possibility. I mean, they do have that option. Well, they did it with Danny Kite. I mean, we're going way back. But there was mm-hmm. a time where the Colts carried on the roster a guy specifically for kickoffs. And that's all he did. Got to be the greatest gig in the history of sports. But that was his job, was kickoffs only. Um, this, I, to me, and I'm going to pat myself on the back again, which I'm really good at, but this, Stephen, look, I don't pretend by any stretch of the imagination that it's Shaquille Leonard ramification, but this again goes to show, I think, the subtle importances of Rigoberto Sanchez and what he brought to the table. Oh, I, I said it from the beginning. I agree with you. I, I think people really underestimated his value to this team. And a lot of times, you know, what we do as fans is we look at numbers. And if you look at Rigoberto Sanchez's numbers, they're just kind of middling. Or just, I shouldn't say middling. They're, they're, they're probably upper third, but nothing elite. But it's not about the numbers. It's about what they ask him to do. He, he punts directionally and pins opponents so they can't get returns. And on kickoffs, uh, so special teams coordinator Bubba Ventrone talked about this yesterday. He talked about how they ask him – depending on the circumstances, to do different things uh, with his kickoffs. He can, he can get hang time. He can directionally kick it. He can kick it out of, excuse me, kick it out of the end zone for a touchback. I mean, he, he can basically do whatever they need on command. And so to your original point about whether they could maybe use one kicker to kick off and one uh, for field goals, if it prevents them from kicking two kickoffs out of bounds, then I'm all for it. I just don't think they have the roster luxury to be able to carry two kickers to have to do that. I just I don't think. I'm just, yeah, just hypothetically, though. Like, <laughs> if that's what it takes, maybe consider it. No, oh, I hear I, you. I'm with you, though. But I think it's very unlikely, though, just based on roster limits. Though. So do you believe Chase McLaughlin or Lucas Havrasek will be the season-long solution, or is this going to be a revolving door at the position all season? Yeah, that's a good question. I, 
I, I think they'll have to just sort of play it by ear. You know, if, if it goes well, you stick with it. If it doesn't, then you have to consider other options. Uh, but I honestly think that it's, it's unfortunate that, that we're even having this conversation because this is not a surprise. I'm sorry. I, I think that anyone who has, I mean, certainly I have definitely said it on this show and I'm not the only one. And, and anyone who has been outraged about the way the Colts or at least concerned about the way the Colts have handled wide receiver. If you had concerns about that, then you sure as hell should have had concerns about, about the kicking situation because there's much more reason and much more history of uneven performance at that spot than these wide receivers who many of whom we haven't seen play that much. So this is, you know, we'll have to see the jury's still out on those guys, right? Well, the kicking situation, I don't think the jury was out. I think we've seen it. And the Colts left them on the sidelines last year. So they had spoken after that hip injury healed. So I, I'm just flabbergasted that it took this long. Yeah. So what does that say about the evaluation process for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard? Cause you knew this was an issue last season. You went through an entire off season and a training camp and you didn't address it. And now one game into the season, you're swapping out kickers. Yeah. I mean, they did bring in obviously some competition with Jake Verity, but I mean, that wasn't a serious kicking competition. <laughs> I mean, I saw it. It was, it was a joke. And so it didn't tell me anything. It didn't make me feel better about Rigo, excuse me, about Rodrigo Blankenship. I just, it just told me that Jake Verity wasn't good enough. <laughs> so I don't think it, it, I don't think I learned anything about Blankenship through that process. I, and so to the question, what does it say about their evaluation? Uh, they have had uh, some stubbornness at kicker in the past. It, certainly we saw this with Adam Vinatieri in 2019 uh, that lingered way too long. I actually think that cost them multiple games. I love Adam. Everybody loves Adam. He's going to wear a gold jacket one day, but it killed them. There's no question about it. It absolutely killed them. And I, I went back and looked at this yesterday. Adam Vinatieri's struggles began in week two, and he had the knee injury. So it's not like he forgot how to kick, but he, but he couldn't get the job done regardless of why. Starting in week two, I believe, at Tennessee, he kept kicking until, I believe, week 12. So, you know, we've been down this road before. At least in this instance, they were swifter to act. So I'll give them that, I guess. So that leads to this question, Stephen. If the Colts had not been burnt by sticking to with Adam Vinatieri too long, is Rodrigo Blankenship still their kicker? Um, maybe. I mean, I think Adam Vinatieri... Uh, Adam Vinatieri was uh, – never mind, I see where you're going with the question. I, I, I think that it probably did play a role. I see what you're saying. Yes. Now, I think it plays a role. The other thing that I wonder about, and I realize – Stephen Holder, by the way, from ESPN.com is our guest. I, I realize that kicker is a position that is kind of one of those, like, luxury positions. You know what I mean? It's like it's like renewing your license plate tags. You you know that that mm -hmm. bill is eventually going to be out there and then like it comes and you pay it and you're like, you know what? I, I, I won't even think about that for another 10 months. I've got other stuff I got to deal with. And that's kind of what I would assume in building a roster the kicker position is. But that said, when you talked about the quote unquote kicking competition in camp, the reality is they just brought in two guys. Like if they really wanted to do a kicking competition for Blankenship, why didn't they bring in somebody that was a legitimate guy like one of these two that's now on the roster, practice squad granted? Why were they not brought in earlier? Why did they not have a legitimate competition earlier than when they did? Because to Mark's point, didn't everybody see this as a possibility? 
I don't know the answer. I, I, I think the one possible answer, this is what I think, if you ask me, and you are, I, I think they wanted to believe in Blankenship. They just they wanted to believe. And let's go back now. He, in 2000, um, in 2000, he had, excuse me, 2020, excuse me. I don't know what year it is. In 2020, he had a very impressive rookie season. I mean, he looked like a very viable kicker. I was always concerned about his leg strength. I didn't right. think he ever really had any. I, I thought that was what it was. But I said, all right, well, if you need him to hit it from 45, he can do that. He's a pretty, he's pretty consistent on, on sort of the, the average length kick. And honestly, if, if he could give him that, I would be perfectly happy with it and just understand that, okay, ask, if you ask him to hit from 55, well, hold on to your, you know, hold on to your shirt. But, but I mean, in this instance, this, that wasn't even the issue. This is a 42-yard kick. Uh, Frank Reich said it in his press conference. That needs to be up above. Uh, we just lost Steven there. We'll check back with him here in just a second. We'll let Sam get him back on. The other thing that I'm curious about uh, that I want to ask Steven is exactly that point, Mark, and then we'll move on to other stuff, I promise, besides just the kicker, but – did the kicker position become one that was of greater need because of the fact that they realized offensively they still aren't in a position to be able to get down the field quickly? You know I, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, well, and it's that, and I think just Frank Reich's aggressiveness almost kind of told you they didn't have much confidence in Rodrigo Blankenship because, again, first and nine, or first and goal from the Texans' nine, they decided to go for the uh, Wildcat instead of going for the field goal. Stephen, did, did the kicking position become – we were talking about this earlier. Is there any possibility? And I know that Blankenship had his issues, and we'll get to the rest of the team here after this. I promise this will be our last thing on the kicking situation. But did the Colts assess the need for leg power versus inside the 40 consistency? Did that become a big issue, not even specifically because of Rodrigo Blankenship, but because they realized that their best ability to move the football in late-game situations – still is going with something that chews up clock and therefore they may be dealing with an inability to shorten the field like other teams do because they only have one aerial weapon right now. Does that factor into it at all? Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I I'll say this. I think your kicking situation heavily impacts how you govern yourself at the end of games and, and end of half situations, whatever the case might be. It also has impacted them. I think and Frank Reich may not, may not admit this, but it has certainly impacted fourth down decisions just in the regular course of a game. So yeah, the, your kicking situation always, always, always impacts how you manage a game and the decisions that you make. And if you're not confident in your kicker and your kicking situation, it's going to have a negative impact because it's going to shrink the menu of things that you can do. There's no doubt about that. So it has an absolute impact, overall impact on things, much, much more than whether a guy makes or misses his field goals. It's bigger than that. Speaking of bigger than that, this game now with Jacksonville, Colts 0-0-1. They're coming off a flat performance for the better part of the game against Houston. It is my opinion, Stephen, you tell me fact or fiction. My opinion is that this particular game against the Jaguars already was big, but now is amplified even more because this is the site of Jim Irsay's lack of sleep PTSD 
since the absolutely abysmal performance to end last season, and he had his scapegoat. He had his guy that he made the change with because of the the performance in Jacksonville. Carson Wentz wasn't going to be back, and he's gone, and we're going to make that change, and this is why. And if you're Chris Ballard or Frank Reich, you're saying to yourself, holy bleep, if we go down there and have another flat performance, then all of a sudden the variable shifts to me. And therefore, it is a huge game that is pressure-packed for the Colts brass on Sunday. Fact or fiction? 100% fact. Look, there, there are there, there are going to be some tight you-know-whats in Jacksonville on Sunday. All right? I don't think we can pretend otherwise. There is no doubt about that. Now, on the quarterback change and situation, I, I think I can still feel, I can still confidently say, this is the one thing I can say coming out of Sunday, I can still confidently say that Matt Ryan is the best thing that has happened to the Colts in quite some time. I think this guy is the game changer we think he is. You, he just He's just not good enough to overcome all the other crap we saw. And that is not excusing his deficiencies, right? He can't have those quarterback center exchange issues. I understand that, regardless of whose fault that was, and there's some debate about that. Um, he, eh, the interception, I actually think I give Jerry Hughes more credit than I give then I give Matt Ryan blame. And so I can live with that because he's thrown to a wide open guy. It's a screen. He doesn't have any other options. He did what he had to do. Other than that, I mean, you're talking about just watch the way the guy worked the pocket. Watch how he stood up in the face of way too much pressure, by the way. Hello, offensive line. Anyway, so I just want to make that point. I, I think they got it right with Matt Ryan. This is, this is going to be the reason he's going to be the reason or the biggest reason they have a chance to do something this year. But there is no doubt about it. They go down there and lose, and, and then you come home and play Kansas City. Let me tell you something. That is going to be a miserable building to be in next week if that happens, okay? Absolutely, positively miserable. And I know they've been here before, okay? They are not a fast-starting team, and we know this is what they do, but don't put yourself in that position, not after what happened last season. So is your, is your estimation that Sunday is a must-win, even though it's only week two? It would be a really, really nice game to win. <laughs> it's not a, a must-win. It's a better not lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's not a must-win in this regard. Like, is someone going to get fired over it? No, not necessarily. But I, I don't think this is going to be like 2018 where they were 1-5. And, and don't get me wrong, like there was a lot of pressure there. But, but the stakes weren't as high because no one was talking about this team going to the Super Bowl in 2018. No one was talking about, you know, uh, about all the, the off-season acquisitions they had in 2018, even though they had a very good draft, et cetera. But this is different. I think this is much, much different. Uh, this team had major expectations. Uh, they went out and made some uncharacteristic acquisitions. When you think about Gilmore and Gakwe, for example, so – I think this is a very different scenario. The, the, a slow start this year would, would I think, be much more – it would be viewed much more skeptically than it has been in the last few years, even though they have had other slow starts. Steven, do you ever have the recurring dream that you are walking in – I think we've talked about this before, but you ever have the dream that you're walking in to take a final in college and like you realize you haven't been to class the entire semester and you're like, Whoa, Oh my goodness. Like 
what's going to happen here. There's no way I can pass this class. Am I the only one that has this dream, or have you had that dream? Oh, so it, it's not a dream. Like, it that happens, okay? Right, right. <laughs> I actually, this is a very realistic conversation for me. So, yes, continue. Okay, so you, you know where I'm going with this. So, Chris Ballard, in terms of that dream, let's say now he has the one where he is dreaming and he's like, oh, my goodness, the season is here and yet this is the area that I still haven't properly prepared. I can't believe it. I'm looking at my roster. I'm watching the game film, and I thought I was prepared, but blank in terms of an area of my football team again has left me in the dark. That area is what? Well, I don't know if it's an again, but I would say right now left tackle is is the area where they – they're walking into the final exam and they're not up to snuff and, and it's a problem. Okay. It's a problem. Listen, it's going to be a problem in Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville can rush the passer. Okay. I don't know what else they can do and we will see, uh, but they have invested a lot of draft capital up front on that defensive line. They had the number one overall pick in the draft this year and they're coming after the quarterback, man. And, and right now this team is struggling on the, on the left edge frankly on the right edge with Braden Smith as well uh, which is completely confusing they're they're struggling to deal with speed right now speed rushers and they're going to get that again so I don't know if that completely answers the question but but I think but I think you knew this was going to be you know to continue the metaphor you knew this was going to be a difficult exam and you knew that maybe or we thought that they might be underprepared <laughs> and so far it seems that we were right you know Listen, the the things that we're talking about, left tackle, kicker, um, you know, for that matter, additional playmakers at receiver. I, I know it's one game. I get it. It's one game, right? You don't want to be overreact. It's one game. But yet, I know I'm not an NFL GM. I know you're not an NFL GM. But, like, we've been harping about this and kind of told that we were making too much of it for a while now. At what point are people going to be like, hey, how you like us now? Well, look, I, I'll say this. Um, let's, let's look at left tackle. There, there are well, – let me, let me back up. Well, how soon let is it before Ryman's handed the keys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, I think if you're, if you're swapping, if you're, if you're rotating guys at this point, I mean, I think if you're not all in, then move on, right? Play the guy with the upside is what I'd say. Um, you're right, though. I mean, it's absolutely it is it is frustrating. It can be frustrating when you had these questions going in, and they continue to be questions. Now, I do want to give a little bit of bright side here. Okay, if you looked at the scoreboards for Week One, I imagine they're having similar conversations in San Francisco, in Cincinnati, and <laughs> you name it. Right? Uh, I think in Tennessee for sure. Arizona, I mean, the, the Packers, what the hell, right? So the Broncos, there are a lot of teams that are legitimate contenders, at least through our, you know, the conversation of the offseason that, that had similar outcomes this week. So I guess what I'm saying is we'll see. I, I really, really don't want to overreact. It doesn't make anything we've said so far untrue. It's all true. But I, I think the clarity comes after multiple games, right? I mean, one game is 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 an isolated instance, or it could be, and we'll see. Well, look, they'll either they will either be proven right and vindicated, 
or everything we've said will be compounded and then it will leave no doubt that they screwed up. So the beauty of it is we're going to know. Stephen Holder with us on Kevin and Query. Last one for me, Stephen, your latest involved uh, story with Matt Ryan. You had a sit-down interview, interview with him about a week and a half ahead of the season opener. What's your biggest takeaways from sitting down with the Colts' starting quarterback? Well, first of all, a little inside baseball. This is why sometimes I hate my job because <laughs> you're at the mercy of the teams that you cover. <laughs> so I knew this story was coming out this week. And I'm like, you know, it'd be nice if they went down there and won in Houston and, and not left anything to doubt with this story. But anyhow, that being said, um, I, I would say what I learned about Matt Ryan, a couple of things. Uh, this guy's an adult. Okay. He gets it. He knows it. He understands the role. And, and he really is. He, he really understands that he's playing for his legacy. Now this isn't, I mean, this guy has plenty of money. He's making more of it certainly, but this is about his legacy and he cares about that. Even though he didn't talk about it that much, he cares. The other thing I'd say is uh, people who have spent time with him over the years. Uh, I talked to Tony Gonzalez, who was with him when in Atlanta, when, when Matt Ryan was very young and Tony is absolutely positively convinced that, that Matt can get this done and, and that he has just a, a, a top tier leadership component that is going to be the game changer here. So I, I really think that you come away feeling that everything you've been told about Matt Ryan, I came away feeling like it was reinforced by what people told me. Okay. Last one for me, Steven talking at the quarterback position and who the Colts are going to see on Sunday, a guy that I watched a ton in college. I thought he had Peyton Manning level ceiling. I know that sounds crazy, um, Trevor Lawrence had a very inconsistent rookie year. Maybe part of that's personnel around him. Is he? Is there any reason to believe that he is going to take a step this year, or is Trevor Lawrence destined to be a guy in Jacksonville that's always chasing it? I am not giving up on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I saw what you saw, right? And you saw certainly more of him. You know, I heard you like Clemson. But, um, that's right. <laughs> rumor has it. Look, I think that he, the skills and the skill set that he has, that is exactly what you were looking for in an NFL quarterback. And he has all of it. So you can't tell me that with a better supporting cast, with better coaching, by the way, Doug Peterson knows a little bit about coaching quarterbacks. You can't tell me that he won't improve over time because he has everything else. And if he doesn't, then then we were all wrong and, and the guy's a bum. But I'm going to tell you, I, I'm very – skeptical that that's the case i i think that you're going to see improvement from this guy and let me tell you something if doug peterson gets this right and they figure it out with trevor lawrence i said this uh, to jmb last night the jaguars are suddenly going to have by far the best quarterback situation in the entire division write it down so that that's, that's well do they have the possible. weapons around him yet does it, because to well, me at the quarterback weapons. position steven you've only got a certain window of time to get it right in terms of building around him and then all, or else you waste a guy. And now you end up with, you know, David Carr or Joey Harrington or some guy that just never had anything around him. Um, are they in jeopardy of that happening? That is still a question. It's still to be determined. I think we'll have to see more of what they, more of, of their team this year. Uh, they, they were certainly busy this past off season, but did they do enough? Did they get the right guys? I mean, those are the questions that we have. So, I know we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, they, they played a really competitive game week one and, you know, we'll see what happens this week. I mean, do they ever not play a competitive game against the Colts? So <laughs> they probably feel pretty confident right now. 
Stephen, ESPN.com. Stephen Holder is where you can read his work. Appreciate the time and look forward to talking to you again, all right? All right, guys, you got it. All right, that was uh, the the multiply fractured version of Stephen Holder on the Payless Liquors guest line. Bob Kravitz coming up in just a few, but first, time for another morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Baseball going on around the country yesterday. The Pirates took it to the Reds 6-1. to Cubs topped the Mets 4-1. Brewers over the Cardinals 8-4. to now That was a doubleheader for the Pirates, let's be fair. Was it? Yeah, they also won game two. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't see that score there. Either way. What do you mean you don't see the score? You're looking at the same I sheet one. I am. I see one. I see Pittsburgh over Reds, six to one. Where's what are you looking one? at? Are you not looking at Scotty's dailies? Is this the? What the hell am I looking? No, yeah, I'm looking. There's only one score listed. You were out of your mind. I don't think so. I don't think I am. Anyway, White Sox topped the Rockies four to two. Toledo Mudhens hammered the Indianapolis Indians nine to one. Am I reading that wrong? That's the, the. I'm looking at the same sheet you are. What does that say? I see one score for the Pirates and the Reds. Yeah, look, you got double vision. What's happening with you? I, I can just confirm that it was a doubleheader, and the Pirates won the second game, one nothing. Yeah, it's right there. I don't see that. Maybe I need to talk to my optometrist. Either way, <laughs> I guess. The Reds stink. There's your breaking news for you. Other news. Go ahead and hit the swish. In the NBA, we had a wild story. Hit it twice. It's a doubleheader. <laughs> what the hell? Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver. Did you see this? Suspended for the year. Fined $10 million after an investigation. Finds conduct clearly violated workplace standards. Well, he is protesting that, is he not? He is appealing, I saw. He is, but they've got some evidence that is pretty damning. So, uh, yeah, so that, that was a fascinating breaking news story that came across the, the wire yesterday. Uh, speaking of Suns, the one in Indianapolis is coming up, and actually we're back to summer again after yesterday, kind of the um, pumpkin spice weather. Things starting to look good today in terms of a good-looking Wednesday, and Bob Kravitz is going to join us to continue as we roll along here on a Wednesday morning on Kevin Quarry, Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5. The fan, Bob Kravitz next. You're listening to Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Flags crossed over and furled, meaning halfway home here on a Wednesday edition at Kevin and Quarry. Joining us now on the program on the Payless Liquors guest line, he is, in my opinion, the dean of media within Indianapolis, the most versatilely connected writer. Bob Kravitz joining us from The Athletic, who had a column yesterday about Rodrigo Blankenship. And Bob, I'll be honest, man. You know, the, the conversation and the chatter began yesterday of, you know, hey, are the Colts in a situation here where they've got to make a change? I was actually surprised that they did so so swiftly. Were you surprised? I'm not saying they were wrong, but were you surprised that they made that move that quickly? A little bit just because they stuck with, they stick with their guys. You know, they stuck with Vinatieri in a year when he was making 78% of his uh, extra points. Uh, and, and less than 80% of his field goals. Of course, Vinatieri and uh, Blankenship are two completely different uh, entities. But, yeah, I was a little surprised. But, you know, it was such, an, it was such a no-brainer. You know, um, if you're Chris Ballard and you're watching the – the 42-yard miss was bad. It was egregious. It landed in the Gulf of Mexico. But – you know, those two kickoffs, and I realize he's not a kickoff specialist, but 
for crying out loud, you've got one job, you know, keep it in play. And to set them up on the 40-yard line is – if they had done nothing, it would have been a dereliction of duty in my my view. So you mentioned that it is kind of uncharacteristic because they like to stick with their guys. Do you think this was fully a Chris Chris Ballard and Frank Reich decision or did Jim Ursay voice his opinion in this decision? I'm sure sure Jim happily signed off on it. But uh, I, I believe it was a Chris Ballard decision. I, you look, Chris understands how important this year is to him and to Frank Reich and to everybody in the organization. And uh, I, I think when you've got a kicker who you can't count upon, uh, it, it, it has an impact on the entire locker room. So, no, I, I don't think Jim gets involved in the big stuff, you know, like drafting Andrew Luck, anything related to quarterbacks. Jim's involved, but I don't believe that Jim uh, brought the hammer down and said, you must get rid of this guy. I think uh, they figured that one out all by themselves. So they went through last season, the off-season training camp, and they evaluated that he was their guy, and then one game in, they're swapping him out again. So does that make you question their evaluation process of the position? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, now look, he, you know, I, I was at training camp a uh, good percentage of the days, and he was much better than Verity, uh, and, and they had high hopes for, for Jake Verity, the other kicker, um, but Blankenship was definitely the guy, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it probably would have made sense to go out and find another kicker, but, you know, you remember back to his rookie year, he set franchise records and points scored and all this kind of thing, and he was very, very solid, so... Um, you know, they, they could, they, yeah, they could have brought in somebody to give him more competition, I guess, but, uh, he was really solid at training camp. I mean, we watched some of the kicking competitions and he was, he was virtually money. So, you know, uh, I, I think I, I don't give them too much of a hard time for that. Bob, when you look at Bob Kravitz is our guest on the Payless Liggers guest line, uh, Bob's with the athletic. When you, when you look at, both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, a lot of people started asking me this. Is either one of them, I don't think either one of them in any way, shape, or form is on a hot seat at all, but is, and I think Frank would be the first one, is it warm in any way, shape, or form, although I do feel like that all of a sudden the thermostat on the seat might go up a little bit if they're flat in Jacksonville, but your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, This Jacksonville game is is huge Uh, a lot of ghosts that need to be exercised i i think the clock really starts ticking on them next year you know it all depends look if this year's a dumpster fire then yeah i could see i could see changes being made i mean if if somehow they go seven and ten or eight and nine or whatever if they miss the playoffs there's a possibility i would imagine that they might make a change somewhere uh, more likely a head coach than, than GM. But, you know, if you assume, as most of us do, that they're going to have a pretty decent season, the, notwithstanding the performance in Houston, um, I think it really moves to next year um, where, you know, they need to take that next step. And if they don't, then, yeah, I think, I think the seat gets really hot under both guys who, as we, as we know, uh, have been extended to, I think, 20 20- 26 I think it is or 2024 I can't recall but uh yeah the seat's gonna gonna get real hot uh 
if they don't uh, if they don't pr- produce this year. Bob, I have long felt, and I want your your thoughts on this. When you look at Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard to me is kind of like Andrew Luck in the fact that like you ask anybody outside of Indianapolis and they're like, oh, he's yeah, he's he's got it, he's great, yeah, he's great. And then you say, well, what what makes him great? He just has it. Well, what is it? Greatness. But what makes it great? The it factor. And Mike, nobody can. And I'm not saying he's not good, but how much has Chris Ballard benefited from being the complete opposite in appearance? And composure to his predecessor and I don't mean from a football building scheming yeah. standpoint with Ryan Grigson but Grigson was you know not very polished didn't care about being polished Ballard on the other hand wears nice sweaters has great hair has a cool accent seemingly in control how much does he benefit and get a longer leash based on the precedent set before him when he walked in the door well I do think uh look he, he provides uh, the media with a lot of access. And I have said this from the beginning of time, that access for a media person is very seductive and it's very dangerous. You know, you need access to do what Zach does and James and Joel and, and Nate. Uh, for me, I, I don't necessarily want that access because I want to be able to blow them up when – uh, when the time is right, you know, when, when it's appropriate. So I do think that Ryan and he, and Ryan understands this. We've had discussions. Ryan really hurt himself by being kind of a jerk with the media. And th- there, there's no doubt in my mind that um, he has not gotten crushed the way maybe he should get crushed in certain situations because he is, uh, so uh, accessible. You're talking about Ballard now. Talking about Ballard, yeah. I mean, look, they've got two really nice, good people running this organization, and if you're a human being, that that resonates with you as a media person, and most media people uh, are human beings, a good good number of them. So, uh, I, I do think that has something to do with it. I mean, you look at their if you just paired their records, I mean. There's no comparison. You know, they went 11 and 5, 11 and 5, 11 and 5, reached the AFC title game in three years after a complete rebuild. So I've never been one who thought that Ryan Grigson was a total disaster. He made some bad moves, but you know what? This guy makes some bad moves too. I also think the reason that Ballard, I don't want to say gets a pass because I don't think that's true, but he is a great judge of talent. I mean, you look at what, seven pro bowlers last year? You know, I mean, and this cross kid's going to be terrific. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think he gets he gets the benefit of the doubt because he's brought in great individual players. He just hasn't built a great team yet. Now, is he a great evaluator of talent at the receiver position? Or is that an area that they're going to fall flat? Well, I, I don't know that they're going to fall flat down the road, but I, I really am uncomfortable uh, with the idea of thinking that a rookie can be your number two or number three wide receiver. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that they're, they're looking at Paris Campbell to have a big year. I mean, the, there's a lot of faith being placed in guys who haven't done it before. And 
I mean, you look you look at Michael Pittman his rookie year. He didn't do much. Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne had a very quiet rookie year, uh, if memory serves. So um, it's going to take these guys a while. I mean, might those guys be the guys moving forward like next year? Yes. But if you're a team that has designs on winning a division title and doing something in the playoffs, uh, to me, that's a dereliction of duty to bring up that that uh, phrase again to go into the season with uh, with the with the wide receiver room that they have. How did you evaluate evaluate Matt Ryan's performance on Sunday? You know, I mean, I, look, there are, there are some follies in there. I, obviously, the the interception, uh, which was just a great play by Jerry Hughes. Let's let's face it. But um, I, I I thought you know, look, if if, if uh, uh, Pierce catches that ball. If Doolin comes down with that ball, he's looking at a, at a, at a huge game, 400-yard yard game with a couple of touchdowns. So I thought it took a while, obviously. But once they got going in the fourth quarter, I thought he was terrific. He threw for, I don't know, 300-something yards. Um, I thought I thought he was fine. Uh, he, he is what he is. And he made he made most of the layups. So that's a good thing. Bob, it's been a long time, you, you know, I almost hate to bring in this analogy. We'll, we'll, we'll use it as a college guy. Every college guy has that one girl that, like, broke his heart and, or whatever. They had a bad breakup. And you come home one night, and he's, like, getting ready to pick up the phone. And you're like, dude, you can't call her, man. you got to move on, right? Right. How tempted has Chris Ballard been at any point, or will he be, to pick up the phone and call T.Y. Hilton? Uh, I don't think he will. I don't think he will, and I think it would be a complete mistake. Uh you know, everybody loves T.Y. Hilton. I love T.Y. Hilton. Great guy, great player, uh, ring of honor guy, ring of fame. But he's been washed for two years. I'm sorry. I, I hate to say it. But he's had his opportunities for two years. Now, if you're going to go out and get somebody, go go elsewhere, whether it's OBJ or whoever it might be. I'm just, you know, picking names of guys that uh, I know are available. But, um no, T.Y. Hilton is not the answer. If T.Y. Hilton is the answer, I don't want to know the question. You know, we talk so much. Bob Kravitz is our guest from The Athletic. We talk so much about areas where a team falls short. Part of that's our job. Just, you know, hey, they're not doing this well. They're not doing that well. So let's, since it's sunny outside and it's going to be a beautiful day today, let's be optimistic and we'll be rays of sunshine on this Wednesday morning, Bob Kravitz. Tell me oh, an I'm area. Your, I'm your guy, Jake. That's I'm right. Your guy for <laughs> you and I are not at all like the two old guys at the end of the Muppets in any way, shape, or form. That's correct. Um, I'm, yelling, I'm yelling at a cloud right now. Hey, <laughs> hey. Well, the good news is there's not one for you to yell at this morning. Um, give me an area that the Colts actually pleasantly surprised you, if any, in Houston. Hmm. Um. Well, I mean, you got the we got what was expected. You know, you know what I, I liked. Uh, I liked their their secondary play. Um, I, I thought Cross had a good game. Black, well, Blackman uh, had some issues, uh, but uh, I I don't know. I, I'm really uh, that's a good question. What surprised me? Um, well, I mean, their ability to come back was was noble. I guess you know at least at least they woke the hell up and started playing. Uh, I guess the secondary, but that's not a very good answer. You know, you mentioned earlier, though, Cross is pretty darn good, isn't he? I mean, for as young as he is and athletic as he is, he's pretty exciting. 
He really is. Remember Antoine Bisset? Yeah. I, I remember when he got to camp. Uh, I don't remember where camp was back then because they've changed a couple of times. But he was like a fifth or sixth rounder out of Howard University, and you didn't expect a hell of a lot from him. Dude, he was a starter from the day he walked on the field in, in, in training camp. And that's what rem- that's what this uh, cross reminds Nick Cross reminds me of. I mean, he's 21 years old. He just turned 21, and he uh, he looks like an absolute natural at that position. And I think they've uh, again that's another really great find by Chris Ballard. Um, what was he? Second, third, third round, third round. Uh, I think that was another great find by Chris Ballard. He, he's going to be a stud. Uh, for them for a long time in much the same way that Antoine Bethea was. Probably had the most boring 21st birthday ever because I think it fell on the day before opening opening night. So <laughs> that was probably just an awful 21st birthday for him. Last for, for me, Bob, I know it's only Wednesday and we don't even know who the kicker of this team is going to be on Sunday, but do you think they get the job done in Jacksonville? Yeah. They, <laughs> I've said this so many times. I remember going in there when they, they were really hot with Andrew Luck and they lost six to nothing. I mean, weird stuff happens in Jacksonville, which is surprising because nothing happens in Jacksonville, you know. Uh, but really weird stuff. They they just I, I it's inexplicable to me. But I I think uh, that they they got a bit of a wake up call in Houston, and they understand you know five of the first seven are against AFC South opponents, and if you can't win three out of four. Uh, against those two teams, against Houston and Jacksonville, you are in a world of hurt. you got no chance of winning the AFC South. That said, at 0-0-1, they're off to their greatest start since 2013 uh, in the AFC South because the Titans lost and the, the tie and, and, and Jacksonville obviously lost. You better get this win on Sunday because you got the Chiefs staring you right in the face and they look, they look phenomenal on yeah. Sunday, so that might not be too good. Hey, Bob, did you see that um, hockey's got a new home in central Indiana in a couple years? No, I did not. The city of Fishers, town of Fishers, whatever the heck it is, community of Fishers, traffic jam of Fishers, um, they are building a $1.1 billion, that's with a B, billion-dollar entertainment and shopping district near just south of the Ikea location that will include an 8,500-seat hockey arena, which will become the new home of the Indy Fuel in 2024. I had heard for years and years and years from the Hallets that they were they were looking to build up in up in the burbs, and that's that's the thing to do. You know, a minor league hockey team. I mean, they got to get out of the Coliseum. They've done a nice job. You know, the Farmers, whatever it's called now, they've done a nice job of rehabbing that place. But the parking is abysmal. The traffic is abysmal. Um, I think that's a great idea for the fuel. And it's great for hockey in this town, and I am thrilled to hear it. It makes me, and I don't disagree with any of that. As a, as an old guy yelling at clouds, also, um, it does make me sad for the sake of the Coliseum. Listen, I get it. I mean, everything has its era, right. uh, but I think they did a nice job of renovating, you know, a historic place within the city. And I really had high hopes that IEPUI in particular could could find a home there. And there are still events they can do there, maybe concerts from time to time. Sure. But it does make me sad to think that hockey would not be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you go all the way back to the racers. And, I mean, the racers used to practice there. And 
uh, also up at Carmel. Now, I think I think setting things up out here. I'm up in Carmel. I used to be in Fishers. I, I, this is where the hockey interest is, and it, it just makes perfect sense. And I know that the Hallets have been. I know even before that, uh, uh, what uh, uh, Scott was trying to get something built out in the Burbs. So I think that's great. So we'll have a nice, nice new hockey arena, and we'll have. Um, We'll have a new soccer stadium coming online at some point. You can wait three and a half hours to get yourself a beer there, like at one of the microbreweries on 116th, and then then go watch a hockey game, right? Exactly. Get some meatballs at Ikea and call it a weekend. That traffic over there, by the way, is brutal. (laughs) I know. I know. Oh, God. Trust me, I people joke at me, man. I don't go north of 96th Street. I'm, I'm the iconoclast. Bob, we appreciate it as always, man. All right, bud. Take right. care. Good talking to you. Likewise, Bob Kravitz on the Payless Liquors guest line. You a hockey fan, Mark? I am. Yeah, Blackhawks fan. Wasn't for a while. They stunk. I remember I went to a car dealership to test drive a car, and you got free Blackhawks tickets. Really? I said, oh, I'm here for the you know test drive for you the free Blackhawks tickets. You pulled over for speeding, tickets. you get three more, right? That's right. So I did the test drive. I was like, oh, I wanted to get the free Blackhawks tickets. And this is how bad they were before. Guy pulls out just like a crate of tickets. Take as many as you want. I can't give these things away. <laughs> so we saw like the Red Wings and all. The, we went to like five games that year. I got tickets for me and my two brothers and my dad. To buy the car? No. Had no, no interest in buying the I car, was, did was you? I like, I'll go to free Blackhawks tickets. Sure, why not? No. I think my brother ended up getting that car, though. Uh, I will give more specifics on this news that just came out this morning regarding the fuel and their new arena uh, upcoming here. It's Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.